Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I look at the huge success of ARK Investments, specifically the massive growth of the ARK Innovation Fund, and ask what might go wrong given most of the assets are in an ETF. The creation and redemption process, fund holding transparency, copycat investors, and the fact that many investors have piled into the fund over the past year, these are just a few of the things that could be issues for ARK in the future and may be heightened by the fact that it's in an ETF wrapper. We also use the discussion to talk about some of the mechanics in ETFs that make them unique. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy this discussion. Okay, today we're going to talk about uh, the topic I wrote about this week on the blog and what I what I was interested in. And um, it's kind of like one of the headline stories, one of the actually biggest success stories probably in the ETF business, but is, uh, is sort of the success of ARK Investments, which, which is Kathy Wood's firm. And they're the ones that basically invest in like disruptive, you know, high growth companies, very innovative companies. And the, the, the company has had, you know, massive success. I think we initially launched our ETF um, that doesn't exist anymore right around the same time Kathy uh, launched their first ETF. And, um, you know, this firm has just exploded in terms of, in terms of assets. But I, I, I was sort of asking the question, and we'll get into this in a minute, um, you know, that success might come with a cost. And the cost of the growth in assets um, might actually be more given the fact that the way that they manage most of their money is in um, an ETF wrapper or in the ETF structure. And so that's kind of where we're going to go today, just talking about sort of some of the unique qualities of ETFs, which, by the way, there's many really good qualities. First of all, they're transparent, they're low cost, they trade you know, on a daily basis in real time, they have significant tax advantages. Um, and, you know, I don't even know if, if, if ARC had launched one of these strategies in, let's say, a mutual fund, if they would have had the success they've had, because maybe the ETF wrapper was sort of right at the, they sort of were at the right place at the right time with the ETF wrapper and with these types of strategies. Um, but Jack, before I let you talk about the sort of, we'll start with the creation and redemption process. The one thing that I, I noted in the article is there their um, flagship fund, the ARK Innovation Fund, had $1.8 billion in January of last year. It peaked a few months ago at $27 billion in assets under management, and it, now it's down to around $20 billion, so it's pulled back, and some of the, some of the stocks in the, in the portfolio haven't been performing that well, and so the, the ETF has, has pulled back here. But, I mean, if you think about that type of growth, you know, $1.8 to, tw- to, to you know, basically $20 billion today, I mean, that's, that's massive. And we'll talk about the, the construction of the portfolio and why that might be somewhat problematic, uh, potentially. So, but maybe Jack, let's start with like the creation and redemption process and talk through, um, talk through that a little bit. And, and then we'll kind of get into the portfolio specifically and talk about some of the holdings and their exposures and stuff. Yeah, first, just to comment on what you said before. I mean, I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of arcaders out there and, you know, I, I don't really know how you could be 
an arcader. I mean, they've, they've built an amazing firm from scratch. You know, we know trying to launch an ETF ourselves. Like you said, we tried to launch a deep value ETF in 2014, which was not a good idea. Um, you know, they obviously went the other direction. But, I mean, they, they've had incredible success. So, I mean, obviously, it's up for debate whether these types of stocks they're owning, you know, can continue this type of run or whether there's a major decline in the future. But in general, I mean, you have to be very, very impressed with what they've done. Um, I don't see how you could be anything other than that. And then the second thing is on what you said on the ETF structure. And, you know, ETFs are basically a, the best vehicle for almost any investment strategy. Um, you know, they're, they're superior to mutual funds in ways we're going to talk about. They're superior to like a separate account strategy in most ways. So that is the best wrapper. But like you highlighted in the article and like we're going to talk about later, there are a few things that are unique to ETFs that maybe in these specific type of edge cases like are could end up being problematic eventually. And so that was we'll get into that in a second. But I think that's that's an important point. But so starting behind the scenes, how, how does this work? So basically, ETFs have something behind the scenes called the creation and redemption process. And what that is, is there's there's firms called authorized participants, and, and they have the ability to issue or destroy shares in any given ETF. And so what happens behind the scenes is when investors, so like to take it a step back, let's think about when we launched our ETF. So when we launched our ETF, we went and got some seed capital. Um, and then we had these things called creation units that got created. And, and all a creation unit is, is it's 50,000 shares typically of the ETF. So we launched our ETF at $25. So 50,000 shares times $25 was 1.25 million. And we, we launched with two creation units. So we had seed capital of 2.5 million that came into our ETF. And so what happens is those shares get issued. And then in exchange for those shares, what the fund gets back, because you're, you're basically getting an equal transaction back and forth, the fund gets all of its holdings in what's typically called the basket. So that, that's basically all the holdings at, at value weights, you know, at, the, at market cap weights of the, of the fund. And so what happens is behind the scenes, this process is always going on back and forth. And so in, in a simple example, if you launch a fund with one market maker and that market maker has 50,000 shares, what will happen is if more and more demand comes in for the ETF, they'll run out of those shares. They won't be able to sell those shares. You know, they won't be able to sell any more shares because they won't have any. And so what they can do is in, in real time, they can continue to create more and more shares of the ETF. And in exchange for those shares of the ETF, the ETF keeps getting back more and more shares of the, of the holdings within the portfolio. And it works the same way in reverse. If the market maker ends up with too many shares, what they can do is they can destroy those shares. And in exchange, the fund gives back some of the holdings. So you have this process flowing back and forth. And the reason this is important is because this is what makes an ETF tax efficient. And so these transactions are not taxable. And so if with a mutual fund, for example, if people are redeeming the shares and the fund is having to sell positions, if those positions are sold at a gain, those will end up as a capital gains distribution at the end of the year. With an ETF, that's not happening. So if, if those positions, when people are redeeming, if those are at a gain, then th there's no taxable transaction there. And so there's no gains distribution. You know, if it's done properly, there's no gains distribution at the end of the year. And so th that creation and redemption process is really important because it's what makes ETFs tax efficient. And it's important to understand that that creation and redemption process is something that ARC does not have control over. So in the case of the ARC Innovation Fund, where you had this massive increase in demand for the underlying share, for the, for the shares of the ETF, those creates were just happening naturally. And as a result of that, more and more of the stocks held in the portfolio had to be bought. And so the question I sort of asked in the article is, you know, was, you know, what were the flows coming into ARC? You know, how much influence did they have on some of the underlying positions? Like, were they so much that they were potentially moving, moving some of these um, stocks? And I have a chart in the article that shows, I mean, the, the fund currently has you know 24% in mega caps, which is over 100 billion. It has 47% in large cap, 
stocks, which is between 10 and 100, 100 billion. And then it has 25% in medium cap stocks, which is between two and 10 billion. And then it has 3% in small cap stock, stocks, which is between 3 million and 2 billion. So, you know, and in the mutual fund world, when funds get too big, like small and mid cap funds, where they know they've reached capacity, um, they have the ability to become closed to new investors. Well, an ETF, I don't think, will ever, you know, be able to close that or stop that creation or redemption process um, from happening. So that's one of the sort of one of the points I was making in the article. Yeah, no, that, that is, and that's a really important point because that is the big difference with, with mutual funds is, you know, mutual funds, you know, a, a good example is if you look back, uh, what was the Janus 20, um, you know, that had the big run in the late 90s, you know, at a point that, that was a very similar fund in terms of the types of stocks they were investing in. And at a point they decided, all right, we, you know, we can't handle these types of flows. We're going to close the fund. We're not going to take any new assets. ARC doesn't have that ability. You know, ARC cannot close this fund. And so the, the question is, as they continue, you know, it is a very focused fund and they have a lot of funds. So we're just talking about one fund, but they, they, they're all their funds are, are fairly focused. So a, as the fund grows, they're taking bigger and bigger positions in some, you know, some stocks that are on the smaller side. And the question is, is there any risk specific to ARC there in that, you know, you could end up with some sort of cascade going the other way? Or is there any sort of systemic risk, you know, in terms of this could, if this went really bad, it could impact the market. So that, that is an important, you know, that is one negative VTFs as much as we've talked about all the positives is, you know, you would want to, a, a fund, a strategy like this, there certainly is a level that exists where you would want to close the strategy. Now, I don't know if they're there. I don't know what it is. I mean, that's a whole different question, but the level exists where you'd want to close the strategy. And with these types of strategies, you're going, you know, you have the potential to go well beyond that level. And then the question are, what are the risks associated with that? One of the other tables I had in the article is I, I pulled down the current holdings, which you can do for any ETF. So for, well, almost any ETF, ETFs that are considered um, just active or passive and aren't considered non-transparent. But anyways, with ARC, you can go and you can see the holdings and you can see the position size and how much of the company the fund owns. And so what I did is I took their, it's about 50 holdings. So to your point, it is relatively concentrated. And then I sorted based on how what percentage of the company was owned by the fund, and this is only in this one fund. I don't know if they own shares in other fund of these companies in other funds, but um, there's 10 companies in the portfolio today where ARC owns more than 6% of the total shares outstanding. Um, and then what I also did in this chart, which we'll put in the podcast, is I looked at, you know, of their, posi of their position size, um, how much of a percent does that represent of the daily dollar volume? And what you'll see in the chart is that, you know, in these 10 positions, you know, it's representing like maybe on average 500% of daily dollar volume. So if ARC wanted to start to get out of one of these positions, I mean, think about it. If you, if you own a stock and your stake in that company is worth 500, 500% of the total daily dollar volume on one day, you know, it could take, it could take a lot to unwind that position. And, um, you know, like you said, in the event that you have maybe some, some big run where you have massive um, outflows, you know, that could be potentially problematic. But one of the things that you helped me understand, because you kind of looked at this article before I published it, is that, you know, there are some things you can do in this custom create and redeem basket that could mitigate some of the selling pressure potentially. Um, and why don't you maybe just explain like how you would do that within the ETF framework? Yeah, so first to take a step back and look at how this could go wrong. So going back to what we talked about before with the creation and redemption process, let's say as an example, 
investors start redeeming ARK in, in, big, in a big way. So they start really wanting to get out and sell their shares in ARK. So what will happen? So what will happen is the market makers then will have to start doing redeems. And what will happen then is that that results in selling pressure on the stock. And so you could end up with on the stocks within the portfolio. So you could end up with a cascading type effect here where the redeems cause the stocks to go down, which then causes more redeems, which then causes the stocks to go down. I'm not saying this is the way it's going to play out. I'm saying, you know, if you wanted to build the case of how this could go wrong, that would be the case is you get this loop going where the redeems are basically driving the stocks down and feeding more redeems. Um, but th there is some things they can do to mitigate this. And so taking a step back and looking at that idea of the basket. And so the ba what the basket is, is it's all the stocks in the fund at the weights they own them at. So with a standard redeem, what will happen is the authorized participant, the market maker, they, they will sell at those weights. And so when a redeem order comes in for ARK's fund, you know, the stocks that are the biggest positions, they'll have the most sold. So that way your, your fund, your, your weightings of your positions stay exactly the same as they were before because you're selling at the same weights that you hold overall. But one of the things ETFs can do behind the scenes is this idea of custom baskets. And so what happens with a custom basket is I can, I can put out a different basket as a sell basket to the market. And what that sell basket can be is it can be different weights in the positions. So for instance, if I'm ARC and I have some big positions that are illiquid, but I also have you know Tesla in the middle of my fund, well, I can put way more weight on Tesla in the sell basket and so therefore, I'm, I'm relieving some of the sell pressure on some of those positions I own more of, and I'm putting more of the sell pressure on Tesla, which obviously can take it. So that's something they can do, and I think they have done to mitigate this when they do have these situations where you have these minor, you know, these minor redemption incidents. Um, the one thing you have to keep in mind with that, that you have to be careful about is, obviously now with this custom basket, I am changing the weights of my holdings. So the Tesla is going down as a percentage, and these, these illiquid names are going up as a percentage. So if it ever got to a really, really bad situation, now I've sold my liquid holdings and now all I've got left is my less liquid holdings. And so now I've got a bigger problem if the redemptions got really bad. I mean, I don't know if it would ever get to that level. So what you're doing is in the short term, you can use the process like this to make the situation better and, and you know, use your liquid names to sell. But if, if it ever got really bad in the long term, it could pose an issue. One of the beautiful things about ETFs is that, you know, the vast majority of them have to disclose their holdings on a daily basis. So as investors investing in these things, you know, we can always go and see the top 10 positions or even the whole, whole portfolio. And I think that, you know, that oftentimes doesn't get utilized by investors, but in the case of ARC, it got utilized a lot. And so what was happening, and it probably is still happening, but it, it's kind of cooled off a little bit, but you know, there was all these uh, investors that would try to go and, you know, look at what, um, it was called like the Kathy Wood effect. So, you know, what positions or what um, stocks ARC is adding and then investors outside the fund would sort of pile in and sort of drive the prices of those stocks up. Like I know when they added um, like DraftKings to the portfolio, you know, th that day or the next day, the stock was up like, eight, you know, 8% on that news. So that's, again, something that you know, is, is, is sort of a downside in the sense that these ETFs have to be transparent, but when you have such a successful ETF, you get other investors sort of trying to piggyback or clone and trying to benefit from those fund flows. Like, I don't know with some of these companies, if they started to try to ease out of them and investors picked up on the fact that ARK was trying to uh, reduce its position size or maybe even reduce, reduce the position altogether, you know, would that make a signal to the market that, okay, let's, this thing's going down, you know, it's a potential short candidate. I'm sure they would work in order 
you know, over, you know, a long period of time to minimize any selling pressure or any impact on the stock. But that was just sort of the question I was trying to get at in the article. And when you compare that to mutual funds, you know, mutual funds have to report out on a quarterly basis. And even in the case of Warren Buffett, you know, there are exemptions you can get from the SEC. Um, and I think there's about, basically the article I read, I think there's about 60 exemptions a year from firms um, where they get, you know, more time in terms of disclosing uh, their portfolio because they're trying to establish and build a position and they don't want the market to know that because they don't want the stocks to move. Yeah, you know, this, this is, again, one downside. You know, for In most cases, the fact that ETFs disclose their daily holdings doesn't really matter. Um, you know, smaller funds doesn't really matter. Um, you know, the S&P 500 ETF, it doesn't really matter. But in, in this specific case, you know, when you have a focused fund with, with the potential to move markets, you know, you have to, if, if professional investors can game something, if they can try to take advantage of something, they're going to do it. And so you have a lot of people looking at their holdings and trying to figure out, you know, can I anticipate they're adding or subtracting something? Or going back to that liquidity cascade type thing we talked about before, where, you know, selling or redemptions were creating selling was creating more redemptions. Well, what professional investors would be all over that. Um, you know, if they saw that going and going and thought they could anticipate it and thought they could profit from it, they'd be in there shorting all those names, um, you know, and making the situation even worse because they, they would see what ARK is doing and they would see what ARK has to sell. So it, it again, in, it's probably not a likely scenario, but in, in a worst case type of scenario, that could also be problematic. The disclosure of daily holdings could allow people to anticipate what it is they're doing and, you know, maybe try to front run that. Do you remember it was... It was like a few months ago. I sent you that site, and I was like, "Kathy Woods getting into the subscription business." Oh yeah, because it was like a newsletter. Yeah, and it was like honestly, it had like arcs. Like I thought it had arcs. Like look and feel. It was like it duped me. I was like, "Oh my god, these guys are actually selling like you know research pieces." And then you know I sent it to you, and you were like, "This you know this isn't arc at all. It's some like third party company that's just basically taking their their holdings." And, you know, building basically a subscription product off of it. Yeah, it just shows you the level of interest, though, in the holdings. You know, if you, if you can create a subscription product off the holdings of, you know, one firm or one ETF. I mean, obviously, you know, nobody was creating any subscription product off of the holdings of our ETF when we had it. Um, nobody even cared. So uh, it just shows, you know, how, how much interest there is in this, um, the fact that someone was willing to do that. Right. And just in terms of, like, wrapping up this last part, you know, this, I think what you said about ARK's accomplishments and what they've done is, is, is true. Um, and you know, and the, the, the performance, I don't know for sure, but when I looked at the ARK Innovation ETF five-year annualized trailing returns, the fund had returned 49.9%. It might be within sort of the ETF or maybe mutual fund space. It might be one of the best, could be the best, I don't know, but five-year sort of track record ever potentially. But one of the Downsides to that as well, and this was recently pointed out in a Wall Street Journal piece, is that, you know, there's a lot of investors have got in more recently. So as a result of that, and given that the fund's down, um, you know, a, a lot of people haven't benefited, benefited from that great performance and they chase performance in. And that is, you know, a common characteristic. We've seen it in many other funds. You have these funds with the, you know, they end up having phenomenal track records, but then what happens is you get all this money coming in and that the actual asset weighted return or the actual investor return, you know, is far, far lower than the long-term return of the strategy. So, you know, hopefully people that are buying, and it seems like people that are, you know, buying into ARC, they're, they believe in the strategy. These are disruptive companies. Um, 
uh, the, some of them probably will go on to be fantastic, fantastic uh, investments over time. Many of them already have. But it's just keep in mind when you have that type of growth in an ETF like this, you, know, you tend to get these the chasing of performance. And a lot of times that ends up you know, not being a positive for the actual investor returns that are late to the game. Yeah, you know, and you know that's not their fault, and that that's definitely something that you know you see everywhere. And I, you you reference like some funds of the past. I mean, I think CGM Focus was probably maybe one of the best examples of that. You know, I, I think that had something like a twenty percent a year annual return or you know real return, and then something like close to zero in, in its investor return because everybody just piled in after its big run, and then it had a, it had a terrible run. So you know that's going to happen no matter what, and you know that's going to happen in mutual funds as well as ETF. But you're right. I mean, that's a that's a risk um, is people always want to chase these things that are doing well. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping someday we'll get, and we're maybe we're getting there to the point where people will want to chase value funds again um, because they have such great performance, but uh, we may not be there yet, but uh, that's, you know, it is something that happens with all types of strategies, no matter what, if, if you have really good performance, people are going to pour money in there. And you know, typically that's going to bring down the investor return because performance is going to turn at the point that people are pouring all the money in. Right. So only time will tell if these issues will be major ones for ARC or the next hot sort of ETF strategy or company, but um, we'll keep our eye on it, and we thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi, guys. This is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant, and follow me on Twitter at, at @jjcarboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube, or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.